I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine. Electrified Porcupine is a pretty kick-ass website where you can go and read and learn all about music, gaming, wrestling, retro, TV, movies, cartoons, and collectible toys. So go to electrifiedporcupine.com and have a look around. See what you like. What's he doing? <laughs> just, just, just chilling out. He's ready to record. We're ready to record. Let's do this. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Muses and Stuff, your favorite podcast about groupies. Yes. Your only podcast about groupies. (laughs) How are you, Shanti? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Um, The streetcar ride was sweaty, and I'm barely wearing any clothing, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, finally, it's been uh, it's been long enough. It's been a winter. Yeah. Um. Yes, but I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to do this new episode. We've got a couple of handsome men um, over at your place right now. One including your cat CK, mm-hmm. and the other one including uh, our guest for this week. Yes. 
So Alex, Alex Bird is with us. I know Alex because we work together. And uh, he's here to help tell the story of Bobby Darren and Sandra D. And why did you choose Alex to come and help you with this episode today? Well, when I had already been working for a while, and when Alex came in, I knew right away that we were going to get along. I was going to say, like, besides the fact that he looks like a crooner from <laughs> the 1950s. Well, he is a modern crooner, so the uh, the look applies. Does that mean he's romantic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know him from work? Yes, and uh, Alex is an amazing musician and an actor. He's uh, just like Bobby Darren. He does it all. So, okay, uh, so I have no idea anything about Bobby Darren or Sandra D. So a lot of this is going to just be you, both of you having these conversations. I'm just here to produce this episode and make sure that everything is sounding and looking fine, which I realized on my way here, I'm like, I'm a producer. I've never called myself <laughs> that before. I'm a producer of a podcast yes. among my many talents. So I will soon hand over the microphone to Alex, and then I will interject from time to time and be like, wait, what? Or be like, no way, because I'm sure I'm going like, <laughs> to learn some, some shocking and wonderful and interesting pieces of information uh, for this episode. So, yeah. um, without- You get to sit back, and we'll do the work for you. Fantastic. I'm just going gonna, gonna to pour myself another glass of raspberry iced tea and uh, relax, and I will hand over the microphone to Alex. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, Alex, um, before we get into Sandra and Bobby's story, uh, oh. tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> That's such a daunting task. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a jazz singer in Toronto. I'm, I'm trying to groove it. been singing for about 10 years, and the past three, four years or so, I've sort of um, been putting myself out there and trying to get gigs and getting my voice out there and... In terms of school, I went to uh, theater school and then I went to film school, and uh, and then I just started acting and, and doing that sort of stuff. So I've uh, had a really good run the past probably two years or so, booking some shows on a couple CBC shows. Um, yeah, I just booked a new CBC series today that I I can't I can't talk about anything else except for that. That's um, amazing. So yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> So things are things are moving along. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, one thing I really liked, I've seen a couple of your uh, TV appearances and such, and uh, it, I find it so fascinating that you always tend to get um, like vintage. Oh yeah. Type of roles. <clears throat> I'm 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 being pigeonholed with vintage stuff, but that's <laughs> oh, with a face like that. <laughs> it's it's totally all right with me because work is work, and uh, I've always been labeled the time traveler in, in my group of friends. Yeah. So. And it must be so much fun to get into those uh, old costumes. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's glorious. Yeah. See yourself like that. Um, and you also perform live doing jazz shows mm-hmm. in Toronto. I know you did like a burlesque Yeah, I did, I did a burlesque show for a while. I kept my clothes on, which is for <laughs> the best. Um, and then I just did a, a gig at this a wonderful club on uh, college called The Night Owl. Oh, yeah. So we had an event there, and there's actually uh, a documentary being made about my jazz singing right now. So the crew's been following me around, and we've been doing gigs and stuff like that. And That's so, so awesome. Uh, that should be cool. Yeah. And uh, 
this is your second podcast, right? Correct. You were actually um, did one with our friend Alex at uh, the Never Sleeps yes. Network. Yeah, we had, um, we had a really nice time. Yeah, and so anyone who wants to get deep in... Oh, that's where everything is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, check out uh, Ross Never Sleeps. And uh, yeah, that episode is great. We were listening to it earlier. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so before we get like really deep into uh, Bobby and Sandra, Sandra um, I just wanted to tell listeners this is a hard episode to listen to maybe for some um sandra went through some really rough uh things in her childhood and we are going to discuss things like sexual abuse and eating disorder so um if that's uh something you don't want to listen to then maybe this episode isn't for you but uh yeah we're, we'll do our best and uh do you want to talk about bobby Oh, first, actually, I wanted to ask you. Yes. I've always wondered, <clears throat> is crooner a, like a bad word? No, not necessarily. Um, lounge lizard would be a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, crooner's okay. I don't mind if people say that. But, okay. Yeah. I know, like, didn't like Sinatra. Yeah, why would it be a bad word? Well, well they didn't like it because uh, technically crooners, so before, this is really, I don't know, not, before Bing Crosby, like, came into it, mm-hmm. um, there were some singers in the early 20s that had sort of crooner voices. They were sort of big bellowing voices, and mm-hmm. so they were technically crooners. Mm-hmm. And then Bing Crosby came around, and he sort of was a crooner, but he was moving more towards like popular singing and jazz. When Sinatra came along and changed everything, um, he labeled himself as you know a popular singer. And so when people called him a crooner, he didn't necessarily agree with that because crooning to him was those people from the That's 20s, yeah. which wasn't what he was doing. Mm. So, And now today people say crooner and they think about Sinatra and Dean. Yeah, it's definitely become like a more respected yeah, kind of yeah. term. And, and it does fit. Like when you hear that word, you do get like a sound in your head of... Oh, yeah, yeah. The definition has completely changed from when people might have been calling Sinatra a crooner, for exactly. instance. Exactly. All right, well... So we can call Bobby a crooner without it being an insult. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, well, he was more than a crooner. He was, yeah. He, he defied so many different genres of music. Mm. Uh, I mean, he, he started in rock and roll, and then he went to jazz, and then he went to folk, and then he went to protest songs, and then he went to Motown, and then he did rock and roll. Yeah, he was really, uh, he did not stay in one category. No, not he, at all. He wanted to do it all, and he did which is amazing. Mm. So, yeah, let's talk about uh, Bobby's childhood. Mm-hmm. First, he was born uh, not Bobby Darren, but no. um, Walden Wa- Robert Casoto. Casado. Casado. Yeah, which is a mouthful, yeah. which I can understand why he changed his name. Yeah. <laughs> I had trouble just getting that out myself. <laughs> It uh, it doesn't flow very. Walden Robert Casado. Casado. Mm-hmm. All right, and he was born May fourteenth, nineteen thirty six. Can I just say this about Walden? I grew up in uh, like the county of Walden. Of Walden. Wow. There you go. <laughs> you don't hear Walden too often. No. I think this is like the only time I've ever heard Walden. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, Go Walden Devils. Woo. <laughs> so Bobby was born in East Harlem. Uh, do you want to tell the situation about his mother? Yeah, so 
It's well that that would be well. I mean, okay. So I'm I'm gonna say it off the top. When Bobby was later in his life, he found out that um, his sister was actually his mother, mm-hmm. and so that changed everything for him. Mm-hmm. That's when he took off the toupee and grew a mustache and wore denim tuxedos. And we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> but essentially, um, his sister, who was actually his mother, she was 17. She was unmarried. She had Bobby, and um, there was a lot of, sort of a lot of, um, people weren't necessarily nice to single mothers with no fathers back then. There was then, a stigma there. Especially the children. Mm-hmm. So uh, she agreed with her mother that Bobby would be her son, because she was married and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. so, yeah, um, Bobby's grandmother, Polly, was now his mother and his mother Nina was actually called his sister from from birth. I hope everyone's following. Yeah. <laughs> My friends like I have a friend whose aunt and grandmother had like the same situation. It's like a not that uncommon of a thing yeah. to have happened. Yeah. In the actually past. there's another famous man who had this happen. Do you know who? No. Jack Nicholson. Oh, oh really? And he actually found out in his thirties as well. But he found out because some journalist from like People Magazine or something did like a story. Yeah, wow. and so he learned it in print. That sucks. Yeah, so yeah, and especially like with like older print, mm-hmm. yeah, that probably was quite common, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, Nino at the time was dating a man named Charlie Mafia. Yes. Yeah. And they would get married, and Nina would have two daughters and a son with him. Mm-hmm. So Bobby had... it's Yeah, so he basically was... He had siblings, and Charlie was um, pretty much his father. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. And uh, later, Charlie became his, like, valet or whatever. Yeah, he became his driver, bag carrier, mm-hmm. muscle. Um, so Bobby... Uh, had a rough childhood. Mm-hmm. He got sick. Yeah, when he was about um, 13, 14 years old, he had rheumatic fever. Yeah. And uh, he overheard... He spent most of his childhood in bed while the other kids were sort of like playing outside. He could mm-hmm. hear them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he overheard the doctor talking to his mother one night saying he won't make it past like, I don't know, his 16th, 16, yeah. 18th birthday. So, yeah, he lived with that. uh, Yeah, that's a lot for a kid to take in, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had the rheumatic fever four times from when he was, like, 8 to 13. And that that affects your heart. So he had a heart condition, like, from then on as well. Um, So Bobby grew up in East Harlem. Mm -hmm. He considered a... Like, the lowest of the low, very poor neighborhood. Oh, very much so, yeah. Um, his family does say that they weren't the poorest ones on the block. But no, but but he, he had a recollection that it was it was pretty tough. Yeah. Um, and because he was sick all his childhood, his family sort of pampered him, and he sort of got this... Uh, everyone catered to him. Of course, yeah. And... Because of that, he sort of went through life with that sort of attitude, like everyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everyone's here for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not in like 
It's not his fault either. No, it's what he knew because he was so sick as a kid. Exactly. So, yeah, being in that poor neighborhood, that was definitely, like, not where he wanted to be. Mm. Um, And by 16, he left home, and he was starting a band. Yes, yeah. But he wasn't a singer then. No, he wasn't a singer yet. This is sort of around the period. So he got really into instruments because when he was sick in bed um his grandmother used to bring him and his uh charlie his father used to bring him instruments mm-hmm. um and his grandmother used to be in vaudeville so she taught him all the dance moves she taught him how to play piano she taught him how to sing all the old songs mm-hmm. so he basically just learned music when he was sick so when he decided to start a band um i believe he was on drums yeah and uh he hadn't started singing yet mm-hmm. um but that sort of led to his whole, uh, he got taken on as a songwriter. Mm. And he started doing that before he was discovered before singing. He was singing. Yeah. Um, I have a quote here from one of his friends, uh, John Miller. He said, Bobby thought he was going to die at any minute. He was very fatalistic about it. He accepted it. He felt he had to live the way he did because he had a very short time. He said his death was inevitable and it was going to come one day fast. So Bobby's young, still a teenager, and he's living life to the fullest. What year is this? This would have been... Like mid-40s, early 50s? This would have been probably... The early 50s. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's like 15, 16. Um, So, yeah, he was hitting the pavement, trying to get noticed. Um, It's around this time he had his first sort of love affair. And it was with another famous singer, uh, Connie Francis. Mm -hmm. Um, In her autobiography, Who's Sorry Now, she says... Nice name. Yeah, that's one of her songs, but I mean, still, it's. But she she also had a kind of rough life. She had a rough life. Yeah, everybody has a rough life, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, she said that that was the most bittersweet period of her life, and her whole world revolved around Bobby. Everything he did, everything he said, every dream he had for for him and me. Life took on all sorts of delicious new dimensions now that Bobby was in it. Ours was a starry-eyed romance hand-holding over shared egg salad sandwiches and uh, Hanson's drugstore and dreaming the most stupendous dreams together. Most romantic thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah. um, Bobby, though, was of the old mindset. There's girls you marry and there's girls you have fun with. (laughs) So all this time, Bobby was, you know, with Connie and... They had their thing, but he was also, like, sleeping with other women. And apparently he told Connie that he needed to s- have sex to keep his skin clear. And she believed that. Oldest trick in the book. <laughs> <clears throat> but she also said, like, that it, sh- it didn't bother her at all. She never felt threatened by the women. She knew that, like, they were together. And if Bobby needed to, like, get his... Why do you think I have such beautiful skin? (laughs) (laughs) Is that how you get that refreshing glow? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, So, yeah, Connie and Bobby, like, really were in love. But her father really did not like 
Bobby. No, not at all. Yeah. I think there's a story about him, like. Yeah, he he. Uh, Bobby was backstage at one of her shows, and he uh, pulled a gun on Bobby and chased chased him out of the building. Um, yeah. So yeah, he wasn't. He didn't really like Bobby. Not a fan. Um, and one time he actually kicked Connie out and like left her luggage on the doorstep and uh, Bobby actually proposed to her and said, hey, like, let's do this. But Connie um, didn't want to betray her father. And how old is Bobby at this point? Like 17, maybe? Mm, 18? Yeah, probably. He's, he's pr- probably, yeah, mid-teens. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I actually have, because um, at this time I mentioned... Bobby was trying to make it as a songwriter, songwriter, and he was working with a guy named Don Kirshner, who became one of the the biggest producers and songwriters in America. Mm-hmm. But they were working at a little place called the Brill Building, which was essentially the uh, place where any of the hits that came out during that yeah. time, this is where they were made. And Carol King was there, one of the exactly. songwriters. Yeah. So I have in my possession a songwriting contract. Um, it was Bobby wrote it. It's Bobby and Don. And on the contract, he signed it, uh, Bob Darren, and it's got Casado sort of in the brackets. Amazing. But it's a song that he wrote called My First Year of Love. Mm-hmm. That song was passed to Connie Francis, and Connie Francis recorded it. Yes. And that's the song that uh, brought them together brought and they met together. because of the song, and I have the contract for Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like 1950. 19- 53 or 4 or something. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. That's so beautiful too, like especially knowing like their relationship after and what Yeah. So that's that that as far as I can find out in terms of um information, it's that song that brought them together. Brought them together. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um Connie So yeah, Connie didn't want to betray her dad. She ended up turning down Bobby. Mm. Bobby did not take that well and they split up. It just wasn't mm. meant to be. Um Connie says she Connie did marry four other men <laughs> later in life, but she said she always regretted letting Bobby go. She said Bobby was my first and last love. I never really loved anyone the way I loved him. He was dynamic and I trusted him completely, but we were star-crossed lovers. Sometimes that has to happen. Yes. So, yes, Bobby was still Walden at that point, but that was about to change. Yeah. Although people did call him um, sort of... Bobby? Yeah, by like a The robber, yeah. 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 Um, so, George Sheck, mm-hmm. who was, I think, Connie's manager? Yes. Yeah. Um, he, was, I guess, was working with him songwriting and stuff, mm-hmm. and George asked him to get someone to like lie down a track bobby did it himself and when george heard bobby's voice he was like wow like guess i knew so bobby became part of deca records then and they would release about half a dozen of his singles but never none of them really went anywhere no no um do you like any of those songs? Do you know those ones? The first ones? Yeah. Um, well, I know his... The one that got him the biggest sort of um, praise was this song called Rock Island Line. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget that what show. He actually did a... Uh, he did a... 
TV appearance of it. It was his first TV appearance. And he was on the show and Elvis was on the show. Oh, no. And um, <laughs> Bobby forgot the words to the song. He didn't have it. So what he did is he devised this method. And you can see the clip online. He's singing the song and he's doing these hand movements. And he's looking around. It's because he wrote the lyrics on his hand. And he was so looking he's at like the... referring to it. <laughs> um, so that was pre- Rock Island Line. That was like the... the the biggest deco one that he sort of that he did. got from there. Um, but yeah, that didn't really work out. They ended up dropping him as a uh, client or as a yeah. artist. Um, but he was still playing gigs. He It wasn't soon after that. He met a DJ known as Murray the K. And one day he heard Murray talking to his mom uh, who wanted to be a songwriter. And she had some wacky idea um, about a song uh, with the lyrics "Splish Splash, Take a Bath," mm-hmm. and Bobby thought that sounded awesome and was like, "I'm going to write that song and it's going to be great." He wrote that song. Yep. You see, it? I used to sing that song yeah. when I was in the bath. Yeah, I think we all did. Someone bet him that he couldn't write that song, and they had like a little bit of time left in the session, and he wrote it in 20 minutes, and then they recorded it. Yeah, and. They knew right away it was going to be a hit. Um, Dick Clark uh, invited him on American Bandstand. It was a massive, massive show at the time. Yeah, and apparently there's like just like a smattering of applause when he came on, but by the end the audience like was his. And oh yeah, absolutely. That was like, and he was 22, uh, and that year he would earn over forty thousand dollars, and by all rights he'd he'd made it, mm-hmm. but. He said, as great as, I am as grateful for the things that happened to me in the four short years that I've in the business as I am for God's gift of breath in my body. But this is the way I'm constructed. There's no other way to think. I am two years behind myself. I should have been 20 when the first thing happened instead of 22. So, because he had this like looming you know death number in his head um he really he knew he had to like make it oh yeah as quickly as he could he he was quoted as saying once that he wanted to be a legend by 25 yeah and he essentially was yeah yeah um so yeah he's happy he's made it but he's still uh like kicking himself mm. for not making it sooner mm. it's just crazy i'm just looking at pictures in this um biography here and was he considered um like a sex symbol at all like do because i'm Very just looking so. at him and i'm like yeah, he's an attractive man but like he doesn't like it's not like it's Elvis. the voice it's the confidence it was, yeah. If you, yeah if you go back and look at clips of him on stage oh yeah um yeah, it's like a lot of those singers back then, they weren't necessarily like the, the movie greatest star looking. Hansons. Yeah. Like even Sinatra wasn't incredibly like a movie star Yeah, he's guy. a very like tiny, wiry guy. And, yeah. But yeah, their talent definitely uh, made them more attractive. And that's interesting that you say that because Bobby actually was very insecure oh, about yeah. his looks. Yeah, he had a double chin. His skin was always splotchy. And uh, he was bald. I thought that he had nice skin on account of all that sex he was having. <laughs> yeah, well, that's well, he he had to do that because of the blotchy skin. <laughs> you should we have seen him like without all that sex, like. Ooh. <laughs> but and um, one of the hugest things was 
Bobby was wearing a toupee by the time he was 20. So, like, when he was on uh, American Bandstand doing Splish Splash, like, he was already wearing, already wearing a toupee. Yeah. yeah. So that definitely affected his uh, his self-esteem. Um, so, yeah. Um, Bobby thought rock and roll was going to be a fad. He wanted to make sure that he did other genres. Boy, was he right. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Around 1958, he found a, or he heard the Louis Armstrong version of Mac the Knife, and he knew he had to record it. Um, and that became like his biggest hit. Yeah, it was massive. Yeah, it was part of his album. And then when he uh, had this idea to release it as a single, everyone thought he was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, if you release that as a single, it's gonna bomb. Anyways, he released it as a single, and it became like. Yeah, the number one song in the yeah, country. Yeah, I have it here. It says it went to one and stayed there for nine weeks, and it was in the top ten for fifty-two weeks. Mm-hmm. And he won two Grammys that year: best new artist and best record for Mac the Knife. Um, unfortunately, uh, around this time, uh, his grandma died. But this is the woman he thought to be his mom. So in his mind, his his mother passed mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. and that was like a really devastating. Oh, moment. absolutely, yeah. Everything and everything that he did after that was for her. He always had this image in his head, like, I hope my mom is, like, looking down on me, and I hope, you know, she sees what I'm doing. So when he found out that she wasn't his mom, um, I think, uh, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but he, I think he said to his actual mom, like, you've robbed me mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, he's dealing with that. But his career is just going up. And uh, he started working with George Burns. Yes, yeah, who is a father figure for him. Yeah, and became like a mentor and a father figure. Um, And he got together with a guy named Steve Blonner. Mm -hmm. And um, was about the same age as him. Yeah, maybe just a little bit older. They were just two young guys with yeah he, no experience whatsoever. And okay, so um, Bobby had two dreams to play the Copa and to get into films. He played the Copa, and uh, then he got cast in a film called Come September. So we're gonna pause there, and I'm gonna give you a little bit about Sandra D. Um, Sandra was born Alexandria Zuck. In April 23rd, this is interesting. Everywhere you, you look, it says 1942. Her son, Dodd, says 1944. So her dad was um, a gambler and a drunk, and her mother, Mary, ended up divorcing him within like the first five years of her life. Um, her mother and Sandra had this very unhealthy relationship um one of the major issues that they had had to do with food uh sandra said her mother wrote her own book on child raising uh she nursed her until she could unbutton her blouse and tell and then finally someone said like she's too old to live just on breast milk like you have to give this child food and her mother thought it was, I guess, easier or something to just mix like raw eggs with milk or oatmeal and just 
put it all in a bowl, like make a soup out of every meal. It goes without saying that that sounds fucking disgusting. Yeah. And so obviously mealtime was just the worst for Sandra. Um, she said that if it took her three hours to eat, it, that's how long it would take. And if she finished at 1230 and her next meal was at that time, she would have to immediately eat her next meal. Um, this caused eating issues with Sandra from the get-go. Um, her mother also would dress her in like old clothing and she, she embarrassed her at school and kind of sounds like Catherine James and what her mother did to her yeah um yeah her mother was like a lonely woman and wanted Sandra around all the time and yeah she was they were like stuck to each other um when I think Sandra was around six or so Mary got a secretarial job for this real estate entrepreneur named Eugene Dovan uh, he was somewhere between like 34 years older than Mary. They ended up dating, falling in love. Um, right away, like he would take them to New York. And she says that um, when they would sleep over, Sandra was forced to sleep in a bed w- with them in-, in between them. And she says when she was five, he started molesting her. Well, like... No shit. Yeah, I yeah, it's interesting too because her mother refused to ever really acknowledge that the abuse happened. Um she did uh it's like unfortunately like not something new yeah. to us. Like yeah. when like children had been sexually abused by men that were close to the mother and the mom just ignores it, like mm-hmm. just pretends that it doesn't happen or then even like gets jealous. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, um, even on their wedding night, she was forced to sleep between them. And uh, when she was eight, she says he started, like, having full intercourse with her and everything. Um, She, Sandra said, her mother would have had to have been deaf and blind not to know something was wrong when I'd come out of the bedroom uh, unbuttoned and asked her to button me up. She says, I did it quite deliberately, but... I couldn't just tell her what was happening. In this way, I'm like my mom. Don't say it, and it won't be true. Um, so Mary also apparently told everyone Sandra was two years older than what she was. So when she was eight, she was passing for 10. She actually um, got like went through puberty at eight. Uh, she was going to um, a professional a school for professional children. She, Carol Lindley and Tuesday Wild, who both became actresses as well, uh, were there. And Carol Lindley says, Sandy and her mom had an unusual relationship. Sandy was an extension of Mary, and Mary had some kind of strange uh, identification with Sandy. Mary used to love to tag along. Uh, with Sandy on her modeling jobs. To this day, I've never seen a relationship quite like theirs. Sandy was tied to her mother, but Mary was... I liked Mary, but I saw she was raising Sandra Sandra as an emotional cripple. So, yeah. And around this time, Sandra started working as a model, and she worked from basically like 9 until, I guess, like 13 or 14. Um, she, She was very successful. She was making... 
about $78,000 a year by the time she was 10. Um, it was also around this time that Eugene, her stepfather, did something just horrible that so many women, I feel, and maybe men can relate to. Um, one day at breakfast, he patted her tummy and said, whoops, it looks like someone's had too many pancakes. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, she says, like, it. he was kidding, but the remark obviously hit hard and... Every kid wants to be perfect in their parents' eyes. And from that moment on, she associated fat with bad. And she did everything she could to destroy her body. She said she found it easy to restrict her food. And it's a really interesting thing is if you go back and you look at old magazine articles, even when Sandra was in Hollywood making pictures and everything, they so many articles, like her eating disorder is just laid out. Um, she They talk about her six shrimp a day diet or her vitamin pill diet. Uh, one talked about her lunch being a hard boiled egg and half a head of lettuce with vinegar when feeling reckless. Yeah. Um, and her makeup crew would bribe her like a new lipstick if she had uh, like a dinner or whatever. So yeah, her eating disorder is like in full swing at this point. She's really, uh, suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was 12, Eugene died. So the abuse stopped. Um, and well, everyone thought she was 14, but she was actually 12. And it's this year also that, um, she got a audition a guy named Ross Hunter loved her, took her to L.A. Uh, apparently, he held the contract. MGM wasn't sold on her, but after uh, after Sandra was cast in a, a film with Paul Newman called Until They Sail, everyone realized she was a star. Uh, there's a really funny story I just want to mention. Um, because of her diets, they had to make a rubber bodysuit for Sandra because in the movie she ages from 12 to 18. And apparently she was so excited about this fake rubber woman body that when she tried it on, she uh, yelled out of her dressing room, Mr. Newman, Mr. Newman, do you want to see my body? <laughs> um, so, yeah, she's... Uh, she's... Um, in Hollywood now. She had one horrific experience while filming her first picture. Um, She overdid her head of lettuce diet and her renal system shut down due to lack of protein. And her body became so swollen that she like her pants literally split at the seams. Um, They had to add protein to her diet and she recovered from that. Um, After that though, uh, she started getting roles nonstop. Lots of uh, like teeny Mm. kind of roles um and uh so she was doing things like Gidget a summer place and the Tammy series and Imitation of Life once that came out it like made her a top box office earner um and in 1960 Sandra was 16 years old she got cast in come September mm-hmm. so she went off to Italy and uh, 
love awaited her. Well, yeah, <laughs> love that she um, was very much against. Yes. Also, it was it was tough. Bobby fell in love with her sort of immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but her overbearing mother was there 24-7. Yeah. So Bobby sort of had to woo the mother, and then he... Uh, he knew to get to Sandra, he had to yeah, get through Mary. Ch- Charlie uh, was with him, and he sort of took the mother on dates <laughs> so that Bobby could be <laughs> alone Distract, with. Distract the mother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in the book, it says that the first time Sandy and Bobby saw each other, he was in a yellow suit, like part of the costume, I think, um, and he was on shore and Sandra was in a boat that was docking and he yelled, will you marry me? And she yelled, not today. And apparently he basically asked her that every day until she said yes. So, yeah, Bobby wooed Mary, then he finally got sandra yeah was not into him no not at all she thought he was was, was being a dick yeah he was a cocky 24 year old at that point Mm. so yeah she was just like get lost but then her mother actually because bobby wooed her so well convinced sandra to go out on a date with him because she said like you're embarrassing yourself and everything Mm. so sandra went out on this one date and sparks flew and after that they were together, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so they told their close friends and everyone they were going to get married. No one was happy about it, but they knew once Bobby set his mind to something. Oh, of course, yeah. That was it. Uh, after the film wrapped, they came back. They were supposed to be married in three months, but Bobby had another idea. Um, one night at dinner, he said, if you really love me, you'll have a blood test. And she was like, well, we're not getting married for months. Like, why? But she did it anyway. And when she came home and her mother saw the Band-Aid, she knew right away, like, what was going on. And she flipped out. And apparently she packed her clothes, left, and she and Sandra didn't speak for, like, four months after that, I think. But uh, Sandra and Bobby... We're going to get married in New Jersey. So they drove over there. He had a red Rolls Royce, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So the paparazzi were, like, following them there. And then they got there, and the judge was there, but they had no marriage license. So, like, they had to, like, at midnight find someone to do the marriage license. And finally they found someone, and then they drove back. And apparently they ended up getting married at, like, 4 a.m. They went out for breakfast after in Newark. And she said, Very like, romantic. yeah, right. She said it was like a Keystone Cops kind of night and like not at all how she expected her wedding day to be. Um, obviously, the wedding night, Sandra was terrified. Um, she didn't tell Bobby about what had happened to her as a kid. She would eventually, but after they had divorced and um, apparently he was very... Uh, upset obviously mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they had a, a tender they remained close until he died yes yeah. yes um, but and, and apparently it was their wedding night was great and uh, she said that she when she woke up <laughs> I was gonna make a really <laughs> shitty joke there and I was just like and then I put my hand and be like no don't pass the <laughs> microphone over to me alright but glad that 
No, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Okay. <laughs> uh, she said she never felt that safe as that night when she was in Bobby's arms. Um, and Bobby said, now that I'm married, I care about living. I finally found someone who is more important to me than myself. All the running and searching and proving have come to a halt with Sandy. So they were married December 1st, 1960. Sandra was 16, mm-hmm. posing as 18, I guess. Yeah. And Bobby was 24. They'd only known each other three months. Um, within the first month, they had their big blowout, uh, like, I quit fight. Um, and Sandra also had a miscarriage within the first month of their relationship. So that was hard. Um, Bobby and Sandra had very different ideas of, I guess, what a marriage was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Bobby was still very much focused on his career. Oh, yeah. Um, Sandra did have that old fashioned, like, I want to come home and like have my husband come home and tell me about his day. And she was also incredibly busy with pictures, though. So yes. her scheduling was ridiculous. So, yeah, they really don't. She says, like, the only time she could really see him was at his shows. Um, during one of his shows at the Copa. Sandy had her first ever drink when she was like 16 at this time. Uh, it was a screwdriver and she loved it. And she had a second drink and she loved that and a third. And she ended up in the bathroom the whole night, of course. But she liked the effect that the alcohol had. But she got um, pregnant really soon after that. And uh, she had Dodd, who wrote the book Dream Lovers. I feel kind of bad for her that, like, the only time that she got to see her husband was at his shows. Because as much as I like going to shows, if you're going with somebody that, like, you're sleeping with or that is, like, one of your people or that's your boyfriend, it's, like, one of the worst times to hang out with somebody is, like, when a musician who's working. Especially someone like Bobby because he was Mm -hmm. so, like, focused, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he really liked people around him before a show and everything no he he and anytime he was not on stage was a time where it was very quiet for him mm-hmm. um but things were good at this point they had dodd um in 1961 she was unconscious for when she had him so she has no memory um dodd had been bobby's childhood nickname so that's why they named him that um it was around this time also that Sandra started to kind of become a little bit of a recluse, just wanted to be at home and all that. Bobby, at this point, was getting one of his biggest wishes. He was cast in a film called Captain Newman, M.D., mm-hmm. and uh, he won, or he was nominated. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and he lost to Melvin Douglas Melvin that year. Melvin Douglas. Which apparently was a blow. Yeah, it was, it was essentially sort of like, a, you're old, here's your Oscar. Yeah. And Bobby really, really got upset about was that. Was upset about that, yeah. and Especially because he had that that thing in his head, like, I need to do these things. It's it's a really incredible performance. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it. I have, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's really powerful for a guy who had never acted before. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, he definitely deserved a bigger career in film than he had. Mm. Um, he just didn't have time. Or as Alex called it so cutely, pictures. 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 <laughs> You're going to be in pictures. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, and Sandra, Sandra and Bobby did two pictures t- after Come September. Um, that Funny Feeling and If a Man Answers. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't really that big a success, I don't think. They were, you know. They're fluff. Cute. I love them. They're adorable together. Like, you can see their mm-hmm. love, I feel. Um, I would definitely recommend them if people are interested. It was also an opportunity for them to be on the same schedule. Yes, and that was sort of one way that they were trying to uh, make their marriage work at this point. And at Bobby's suggestion, Sandra went to see a psychiatrist for her eating issues. And after one session, the doctor asked if she he could speak to Bobby. A few hours after that, Sandra got a phone call from Charlie saying that Bobby wanted a divorce. He refused to speak to her. Um, basically, the therapist told Bobby, not all Sandra's issues are her own. Like, in your marriage, you're responsible f- as well. And Bobby couldn't handle that. <laughs> and uh, How old is Dot at this point? Dodd was maybe like two. Probably like two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apparently he also thought Sandra was having an affair with Peter Fonda. I don't know if that's like... Uh, Probably not sure. I I mean, mean, she definitely didn't have the affair, but uh, whether he believed it or not, I'm not sure. Um, During this period, Bobby uh, moved to New York. He set up a record publishing company. Um, I, th- I think he bought a record. He bought one. He bought a record publishing company. He became like a businessman first and a singer second yeah, at yeah. that point. When he kept uh, finding new talent. Yeah, like Wayne Newton and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Um, apparently, I think Donkashay was. Uh, Donkashay, yeah, that was that was for Bobby, and then um, he passed it along to Wayne Newton, and then it literally that one song was what made Wayne Newton's career take yeah, off. But yeah. Bobby like said, "I don't need this song." So he passed it along. That's amazing. So, like, the vibes that I'm getting right now, based on coming into this not knowing either of them, is that, like, they're both very talented, but Bobby's kind of a dick, and Sandra's kind of a sweet angel. Yeah, but Sandra, at this point, like, she wasn't a sweet angel. She um, outwardly was, but she got very um, heavily into first of all she had her eating disorders and then she got heavily into alcohol she became an alcoholic and she also had a gambling problem mm-hmm. she says she did that basically to get Bobby's attention Bobby's attention yeah. the, um, and she, you have to remember she was still like a teenager at this point like she had her son I think she was like 17 mm-hmm. 18 mm-hmm. and yeah she'd never lived away from her mother she didn't know how to be an adult because she wasn't an adult. And so they both they both had their issues, um, but they both very much loved each other. And, yeah, Bobby was a dick, but he was also Whoa. young and I, he I, had his. Whoa. I, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, he definitely had qualities of um, not being nice to people, but. He was very he did, determined. He did. He's very determined. He did an incredible amount of stuff for other people too. Yes, and um, he did very much shift over time. Um, he 
Good. I'm glad that you both kind of proved me wrong on both of those because that's just kind of how it was feeling. Yeah. So it's nice to know that no, he the tide's yeah. about to turn. The tide's I about mean, to turn. Everyone's very complicated in general. Yes. So. so about four months after he'd left LA and they broke up, um, he called Sandra again. They patched things up. Uh, he knew that if he wanted to be with her, he'd have to tone down his lifestyle. So he kind of cut out um, some ties with friends and people and he stopped kind of he stopped doing nightclub performances he stopped doing everything yeah he stopped doing so he could be with his family yeah so um yeah and sandra she um was still doing tommy pictures and things like that and she was like 19 at this point uh things were like better than ever bobby did um, do some club performances here and there, and they were always big successes. But it was around this time that Bobby once again was like, I want a divorce. Once again, he did not tell her. He got someone else to tell her. Uh, apparently this time it happened after they'd went to a party and Sandra talked to Warren Beatty for a while, and Bobby was jealous, and something happened where he it clicked in his head that they couldn't be together. Um, they separated, they got a divorce in 67. He would still come back to her, though, until around 1970. They were kind of still on and off. Uh, she had another miscarriage in 1970, and that was, like, that That did ended it for good. But they were still very close. Sandra kind of lost her career at this time. Her contract was done with Universal, uh, her mother re-entered her life. Um, but this is where Bobby very, really shifted. Uh, he was always ahead of his time. Uh, he was always, like, trying to end racial discrimination. He always hired black comedians for his openers. And uh, he was getting political. Mm -hmm. He was he was very much into the... Our, uh Robert Kennedy's campaign. Mm -hmm. He really, really believed in, in what he was saying and what he was doing. He marched with um, Martin Luther King Jr. He did all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, he was. Uh, and so when uh, Kennedy was killed, that was like a massive blow. It changed everything. It was around. It was around the time when he found out his his um, sister was actually his mother. Yeah. So that the Kennedy death was sort of the final deciding blow to. Mm -hmm completely become a recluse and change his life and yeah um he also accrued a fbi file of like 96 pages long by the time he was dead so that kind of shows just how um active he was oh yeah politically yeah yeah mm -hmm. um so yeah nina told him i'm your mother he never really accepted it or he accepted it but never looked at her as a mother um and yeah so after bobby died kennedy died he moved to big sur he lived in a trailer he threw away the tux he threw away the hairpiece he grew a mustache he became like a kind of a little bit of a hippie oh a total hippie <laughs> and he began singing and writing like anti-war songs and protest songs and, uh, yeah, and he, and he went by Bob Darren, not Bobby Darren anymore. Yeah. Um, and critics were impressed. He put out two albums. So the critics loved his albums. The people did not love his albums no. because they wanted Bobby Darren. So. 
And yeah, they'd show up wanting to hear Mac the Knife and instead hear tell them no, yeah. But don't want the war. Yeah, he was essentially just wearing like jeans and like an open shirt with a mustache. And uh, he also decided to put all his money into making a film, and apparently that was a disaster. Yeah, the film didn't work out for him. Uh, He kind of lost all his money, but he got a gig shortly after, and he ended up having to kind of compromise on his image. Yeah, he decided um, people hear what they see. Yes. So he put the tuxedo back on, he put the hairpiece back on, he went back to Bobby Darren. Yeah. He still performed the protest songs, but everybody loved them just because he looked like Bobby Darren. That's crazy. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, And... Wayne Newton actually came back in the picture and helped him out. He was almost, he wasn't really booking tours and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Wayne sort of called in a favor. Back in Vegas. And um, that was a success, Mm. I think. Also, at this point, um, as much as Bobby might have gone back to Bobby Darren just um, for, you know, the reasons we just talked about, there's a very hard truth that he told his manager. He said, I need to go back to being Bobby Darren because I don't want to wait in medical lines because his heart mm-hmm. was failing. He needed another surgery very soon, uh, yeah. and that was going to cost a lot of money. So he's like, if I become Bobby Darren again, I'm going to get money, and it's going to help me for surgery. Yeah. So and that's he, essentially why he did it too. And he did have surgery right after that. The surgery was a success. Um, there's a there's a right before the surgery there is a a, a a TV special he did in Toronto actually of all places and uh, he uh, in between filming in Toronto he was in the wings and he was essentially like passing out and couldn't breathe and like pale white yeah and it should be known like throughout his entire career he was very lively on stage, but a lot of times afterwards... He was afterwards, taking oxygen backstage. Yeah, um, his heart did affect him, like, all his career. But because he was so lively, always no one really almost believed mm. how sick he was. Mm. Like, his friends didn't uh, realize. Um, so, yeah, he had the heart surgery. He also, around this time, like, in 1970, met um, a woman named Andrea Yeager. Who he divorced on his deathbed. yeah. They got married in 1973, and like about four months later, um, through some crazy... But we'll get to that. Um, so, yeah, he had the first heart surgery, and then he had another triumph at the Copa, mm-hmm. and uh, NBC offered him a variety show. He had a variety show for a while. I think he ended up taking Dean Martin's slot yeah. from his yeah. big show. Uh, and that was a success, but it's also, and I have no idea why he would do this, but around this time, he decided to go to the dentist, and people with his heart condition are supposed to take antibiotics every time they go to the dentist mm-hmm. um, some to make sure the bacteria doesn't get in the bloodstream. It's very important. He decided not to take... So he was on a bunch of medication at that time. And um, the medication he was on was actually fucking with his mind. Mm -hmm. So there was an instance where this is like right before he died, probably like within six months. He took Dodd to, I think it was a bike store or something. And like Bobby was like completely out of it because he was on all these medications and he was very close to death. Then he just left his kid there. The kid's like 12 and like 
yeah. his dad never came back and like he needed to phone his mom and she came and picked him up and like they found Bobby wandering around the streets like not really knowing what was going on yeah apparently he stopped taking the anticoagulants that yeah. he was on as well and that kind of caused like blood clots yeah. in the brain which this is so sad there's yeah. so much about this story that it's like yeah man they're kind of tragic um and yeah it's something that like could have been helped I mean oh yeah 100% if he'd just taken the antibiotics, but he didn't. He didn't have anyone around him to sort of push him to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he got very ill. Uh, for, like, the for two months leading up to his death, he didn't even let his friends see him and, no, not, yeah. and not even his uh, he, son. According to the book, his son wrote that he was essentially just, like, in bed, and he withered down to, like, 112 pounds and yeah, just ridiculous ridiculous stuff and as you said he divorced andrea um that was kind of part of his erratic behavior he asked andrea and his friend to go to a doctor with him to and tell them like everything that's been going on and they did and then when the doctor suggested like he go get some treatment he thought he his brain decided that was like a conspiracy against him and he cut out his friend and divorced Andrea. So mm. it was like a terrible, I, I, I will say this is, this is after his last television series mm-hmm. and his last television series, um, for the variety show, they shot it like a concert, which they don't usually do. Usually have guests come in and they do bits and stuff, but he shot a full concert because he knew in his mind that it was going to be the last um, show that he would ever do, okay. uh, at least filmed. And mm. there's moments in the show where it's, he's literally giving everything he can, and he's like shaking his hand mm-hmm. uh, over and over again because he can't feel, feel it. it. He's trying to get the circulation wow. going. Yeah. Wow. So he's essentially dying on stage. Yeah. Which is something he he wanted to do apparently. No, oh, maybe yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Dodd was 12 when his dad died. Um, Bobby died on December 3rd, 1973, at the age of 37. Yeah. Um, Before he died, uh, he gave Sandra and Dodd a suitcase and told them, don't open it until I've passed. Uh, When they did, they found precious mementos, things from Bobby's childhood, letters he treasured from both Sandra and Dodd. Uh, He had a lock of Sandy's hair and articles he'd cut out from magazines, like, all throughout their marriage. And he even had the first magazine cover Sandra ever did when she was like eight or nine years old in there. Um, this obviously meant the world to Sandy. It was, you know, a confirmation of their mutual love. And it, she took his death hard. Um, so did Dodd. Uh, she became a bigger recluse. She was deep into the alcohol at this point. Um, Dodd tried to help her, his mom, but because Sandra's mom was the way that Sandra's mom is, she would, he would go to his grandma and be like, please, like, we got to get her help. And Mary would be like, um, she doesn't need it. And then later on she'd be like, oh, Sandra's, Sandra's too drunk. We, We can't discuss it with her now. And then when she'd be sober, she'd be like, well, it's a nice moment now. Let's not ruin it by talking about this. Right. So Sandra really never got the help that she needed. Um, uh, and apparently she also finally confronted her mother about the sexual abuse, which her mother also continued to deny. So that was, a. 
something they were all living with. Uh, when Dodd was a teen, he sort of rebelled. He became the typical, I mean, it would be hard to go through all of that and not have a rebellion stage. Uh, but by the time he was in his 20s, their relationship got a lot better. Um, in eight, 1987, uh, Mary, Sandra's mother, ended up passing away. She, uh, once again, chose to ignore her illness until it was too late. Um, Sandra, again, another huge blow. Uh, apparently, she didn't leave the house for four months, and she ended up dropping to 80 pounds, and she started throwing up blood, and finally, Dawn was like, this is, I, I can't, you have to get help. So she finally went in. She got treatment. She stopped drinking. She began eating properly. And in 1991, People Magazine kind of did a spotlight on her. And that was the first time she ever opened up publicly discussing her childhood, her anorexia, her alcoholism, everything. She just... And uh, the huge outpouring from the world you know everyone just gave her a big hug basically and she was on Sally Jesse Raphael which you can go on YouTube and watch the whole thing uh, again she discusses all of that and that was a big success and uh, John Saxton who was in two of Sandra's first two films I think or in her first few uh, he actually was there and he offered Sandra a role in a play that he was in so she she worked again um she'd hoped that it would lead to more acting roles in film but it didn't and uh over over the past few years she she did kind of relapse and everything but uh she got better um she called doing the play and you know coming out and doing yeah i can hear uh sorry my cat's uh like, yeah. <laughs> um, He's a singer. Yeah. He's crooning. Uh, she said that that was the proudest moment of her life. So that was really a wonderful uh, time. And in, two, in 1994, Dodd Darren wrote this book that we've pretty much got most of this material from. Uh, it's called Dream Lovers The Magnificent Shattered Lives of Body Darren and Sandra D. Uh, Sandra really helped and supported him making this and she said it was like a really eye-opening experience and it sort of helped her come to terms with some things and Dodd married a woman that he had known since his childhood and he made Sandra D a grandmother she has uh, she had two granddaughters uh, in 2000 Sandra was diagnosed with throat cancer and kidney failure all the years of smoking and drinking you know, caught up um, she did battle the cancer, but in 2005, she passed away from kidney disease. And Dodd runs both of their um, estates now. And in 2004, they Beyond the Sea came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kate Bosworth is Sandra, and Kevin Spacey is... Bobby Darren. Bobby. Yep. Do you love that film? It's a great film. Yeah. yeah it's really good. It, it doesn't tell... Um, it's not... It's not a biopic in the sense of going through year by year. It's it's sort of a dream-like um, 
representation of everything that he was. It's mm-hmm. it's really well done. Yeah, and um, Bobby kind of always said like, don't look back or mem- memories are like what we make of them. And so the 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 film's kind of really fitting in that sense where, mm-hmm. and uh, it does um, follow their romance, but it's 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 really a biopic on Bobby. Mm. I would say. Uh, and Kevin Spacey is amazing in it. He's fantastic, yeah. And he sings all yeah. the songs. They look very much like they each other. They do. Mm-hmm. He really, like, he really, and he sounds like him. Like mm-hmm. he, he, I was so impressed. I highly recommend that. And I read recently that Dodd is looking into creating, like, a TV episodic. I read about that, too, yeah. Uh, on his parents' lives. So maybe that will come out eventually. For people who want to hear... Um, more of Bobby Darren's work if they haven't checked him out oh, before. Oh, go on YouTube. It, it is incredible stuff. Any uh, in particular that you would recommend? Uh, oh gosh, there's just just click something and see where it leads you because <laughs> yeah. it is it is he, incredible. He he made like I don't even know how many albums and songs all together. He was Hundreds. a very he was a very complicated individual, but you have to remember that he knew he was going to die very soon compared to a lot of people like he he knew it was going to happen yeah so if you know you're going to die don't don't people say that all the time like if you knew you were going to die at this date wouldn't you do something about it so he did something about it yeah he there he's such a great example of like being determined and wanting something and Mm. like he made it all happen sometimes you have to um or you can't uh necessarily be present in all aspects of your life if you're doing that but it's sort of the price you pay i guess yeah and uh now you're going out and making it happen well we'll see i don't know when i'm gonna die though <laughs> well hey as long as uh we all like live it up while we're here right? he's definitely an inspiration of mine to remembering that um the time we have here is borrowed time mm-hmm. so yeah why not make something of it Thank you so much for uh, joining us for this. When of I, course, thank you for having me. When I first thought of doing this episode, like you immediately sprung to mind. Mm-hmm. You're a very uh, good example of a modern day Bobby oh, Darren. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I have I have real hair though. My yeah, <laughs> and <clears throat> gorgeous hair too. By thank you, thank you very much. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Um, well, my stuff is uh, I have a, a YouTube page. Just search up Alex Bird. Also, alexbird.net is my website, updated with all my acting and singing stuff. But all my music is on is on my YouTube page. You can check it out. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely put up the link. Thank you so much for coming and telling me this story. I learned a lot. It was a good story. And I don't know, my heart's feeling a bit. It's feeling some things right now. So I'm going to go to the park and spend some time with my family. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, Check out Sandra D's films. I'm sure most people kind of only know of her, like, through the Grease song. Yeah, absolutely. Which now seems kind of pretty ironic and, like, not, like, it's just not accurate. This whole, like, virginal Sandra D, like. That was the image. That was the Hollywood image. It was the image, but it was not the accurate representation, which it often is, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think it was a great shock when she actually came out in the 90s and Mm. admitted all of this, but, Mm. uh,. But people still loved her and supported her. and um, Well, the work always speaks for itself more than anything else. Yeah, and she got to, you know, be with her grandkids and her son. And so, yeah, it was kind of a a nice ending for her and 
uh, I, I forgot to say, and it's important, I think, she was never again with another man. Bobby was her yeah, one no, that was, and that was, only. Wow. Wow. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much, guys. And thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us online on Facebook and Instagram at Muses and Stuff Podcast. And you can follow Lynx and I on Twitter at Shanti and Lynx. All right. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.